My name is Ricky Day, and this is Nothing to Lose But Yourself. What's going on, everybody? I hope you're having an amazing day wherever you are on this beautiful planet we call home, wherever it is. I hope you're having an amazing, amazing day. And I thank you so much for sharing some of it with us. Once again, my name is Ricky Day, and this is the podcast, Nothing to Lose But Yourself, uh, the podcast where we do everything that we can to change this world and make it a little bit better place, uh, one conversation at a time. Before we dive in, I want to uh, remind you of some housekeeping stuff. If you want to follow us on social media, there's nothing to lose but yourself on Instagram and on Twitter. Follow us there. We're going to start rolling out new content that's specifically designed for social media soon, so please follow us. If you want to Follow me personally, directly. You're welcome to do that. I'm Ricky Day, R-I-C-K-Y-D-A-Y. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter as well. Um, Those of you who don't know me, I'm a a photographer and a visual artist first and foremost. I am a writer and producer, of course, of this podcast or executive producer, I should say, because I've brought on an amazing young producer named Matthew Guthrie, who's joined the team. And we are very, very grateful to have Matthew on board, of course, and I'm a filmmaker as well and an emerging theologian as I'm studying at New York Theological Seminary. But in any case, I'm a human being that wants to make this world a little bit better place. And I think good conversation with good people is a starting point, and that is what we are all about. By the way, if indeed you have Apple Podcasts, and that's where you listen to the podcast, please, please, please do me a favor. Go to Apple Podcasts right now. Write a positive review rate the podcast and share it with your friends so they do the same because if we get enough of those ratings i'm convinced we're going to get into the new and noteworthy section on apple Podcasts. and why is that important you ask well that's how a lot of people find new podcast content to listen to particularly podcast content that fits into the area or the genre that they are interested in so please rate and review us today Well, y'all, my conversation today, my guest today is somebody that I know well and somebody I really love and appreciate and look up to. Who am I talking about? It's the Reverend Lakeisha Walwyn, Ph.D. Dr. Walwyn is an educator, a visionary leader, a sought after speaker and consummate change agent. Uh, She is also the president of New York Theological Seminary. And I might add, she is the first woman and first African-American president of that seminary. So we're going to have a great conversation about the importance of education, her journey through life and into ministry, and what she thinks are some of the greatest issues of our times and the role of faith in helping us solve those problems and build a new, healthier world and communities. So without further ado, I want you to sit back, relax, grab a cup of coffee, glass of wine, whatever it is you like to do while you're listening to these, go ahead and get comfortable and start doing it because in a few seconds, you're going to sit back and you're going to enjoy my conversation with the Reverend Lakeisha Walren, PhD. Enjoy. My guest today is the Reverend Lakeisha Walren, PhD. Uh, Dr. Walren is an educator, a visionary leader, sought after speaker, and consummate change agent. Uh, a native Texan uh, from Houston, Dr. Walren earned her undergraduate degree from Spelman College in Atlanta, Georgia, a Master of Education 
Master of School Administration, and Doctor of Philosophy and Special Education from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and a Master of Divinity from Union Theological Seminary in New York. Uh, Dr. Walman has a passion for children and uh, education. Uh, she's worked in the public school system in North Carolina for 11 years as a teacher, a coordinator for special education programs, an assistant principal, and as a principal. Uh, Dr. Walman answered her call to ministry in December of 1995. She's the author of two books, uh, My Body is Special, which came out in 2017, which is a children's book, and we'll talk about that a little bit in our conversation. Also, her first ebook, Stronger Than Your Worst Pain, a spiritual guide to activating your inner power in 2018. Uh, and that book empowers uh, women to recognize their passion, their power, and their potential to overcome life's most difficult challenges. Y'all tired yet? I know, I know I am, but this is a dynamo that we're talking about here. If all that wasn't enough, uh, on October 24th, 2019, Dr. Walwin made history when she became the first African American and woman to serve as a president of New York Theological Seminary in its 119 year history. Uh, she's happily married to Reverend Michael A. Walwin Jr., an entire other job. Uh, and she's blessed to be the parents of, and they are the parents of two beautiful children, Michael III and Jasmine Dominique, who's a dynamic vocalist that you guys are all going to be hearing about in quite in a few days here uh, as her new music is about to come out. I'm exhausted just reading this introduction, but trust me, it's a shortened one. Uh, the resume is much longer than that, but I think you all get it by now. We're in the presence of an extraordinary human being, a dynamic Black woman, a kind soul, and someone I am humbled to not only welcome to the podcast, but I'm humbled to call my pastor, uh, my friend, my Leo sister, and the president of my school, New York Theological Seminary. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, the Reverend Lakeisha Walren, PhD. How are you, RL? Hey, 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 Mr. Day. I am doing well, and thank you so much for having me on today. Um, so grateful for how God has just um, infused God's self into my life and blessed me to be able to um, accomplish so much uh, with so much help and so many prayers and just really, really grateful to have an opportunity to share that with you on today. Well, thank you for joining us. And I am grateful for you taking time out of your busy day to, to do this. Um, Reverend Lakeisha, you guys, just so you know, she, I mean, that job is a very, very busy one. In addition to that, she's still a mom. Kids can leave the house, but you're still a mom <laughs> and your wife. And, and there's so many other things going on in your life. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, and I'm humbled and I'm grateful, by the way, too, for you, you know, having been able to do the things that you've done and share them with the world because it shows all of us what's really possible. Um, you did all that stuff that I just read through while being a parent of two children and, and, and a wife and not shrinking from either of those roles. So it's really commendable and it's inspiring. And, you know, to that, to that end, uh, I'm inspired to start this conversation with uh, what may seem like an odd two-part question, but I, I think it's an important one. And I don't think it's one that enough people ask often enough and particularly men. And the question is really simply this, what does it feel like mm. to be a woman? And the, the second part of that is what does it feel like to be a black woman? Because I think getting some insight and I understand it's personal, but I think getting some insight from women about what it's like to navigate this space mm -hmm. that we're in now uh, could be helpful to all of us. 
Um, you know what? I will, I will say it is, um, and thank you so much for that question because it, it really is a, a question worth exploring. And certainly I can't speak for, for all women because we all have different experiences, right? Based on who we are, based on how we are raised, um, based on how we live, uh, based on who our connections, um, who our partners are, who are, who our children, our family and friends, our coworkers, um, they all um, work together to make us who we are. Um, but I can say um, that as a woman in 2021, um, it's both a, a blessing um, because so many women are finally uh, being recognized um, or being valued in a different kind of way. We see l- women who are um, now leading organizations and leading in places that they have not been able to do so um, in the past, certainly we have our first female vice president um, of the United States. So we see all kinds of doors opening um, for women, but it has not been without struggle. You know, it has not been without fighting um, for for access. Um, and so when I think about um, all of the women who've come before me, uh, who had to work, who had to to fight, um, who had to, to do whatever it was that they had to do in order to make a way for their families and themselves, I'm grateful for their fight and their struggle because it made a way for me. Um, And so I'm excited. I'm invigorated. I feel empowered. Um, I feel like there is nothing uh, that can't be done. Um, I'm grateful for for this body that I've been given because um, not only does it allow me to show up um, as an individual, as a woman, but it allows me to work collaboratively and in partnership with with my brothers um, and and with other humans um, who have been called according to God's purposes for this time. Um, and so not only am I proud to be a woman as an individual, but um, collectively what what we're able to do in community um, when we show up as our authentic selves is truly a blessing. Um, and certainly, you know, as a black woman, it, it is harder. It, it is harder to get in the door. Um, it is harder to be recognized. It's harder to to garner that respect. Um, but I'm grateful for for the places and the spaces that I've been given access to um, where I can say this is how I show up. And if this can be a reflection of how other you know, African-American women show up, then I'm grateful for the opportunity to show up in that space. Um, but certainly I would say um, in 2021, this is a year of power. It's a year of courage. Um, it's a year of showing up and being proud of, of who you are and your own authenticity. Um, it's about not having to compete with other women or not having to try to be like other women, but recognizing that it's when we show up as our authentic selves, that's when we're a blessing, not only to ourselves, but to um, the wider community, to our nation and even to our world. So I thank God I'm a woman. I thank God I'm a black woman with all the beauty and all of the elegance and all of the radiance that comes with that. And I'm so proud um, and grateful for my sisters and my brothers who stand alongside me as we began to really create the world um, that we know we're destined for. No surprises there. A dynamic and well-informed answer and and. One that I find to be true in my watching you and experiencing you as a preacher, as a teacher, as a business person, administrator, you've been a wonderful uh, influence. 
uh, an example, example to me of the very things that you shared. Uh, I think what's also amazing is watching you in partnership uh, with, with your husband. And I think there's something about the relationship that you guys have. I mean, I understand all relationships are relationships. There's, you know, they're not all perfect. We, I don't know what happens when we're not around, but I know that in the examples that I've seen and the ways that he talks about you, it is a true partnership. And I think there's probably a lot for men to to learn from watching you guys about how to interact with and be in relationship with, with a, with another one, with a woman, with a black woman at that. What's that journey been like for you? Is that something you just kind of discovered together or is that something you look for when you saw when you met him all those years ago? How does that flow for you as a woman? Listen, how much time do you have today? (laughs) Because I could talk about this, you know, all day. Um, certainly we met, I was a freshman at Spelman. He was a, a freshman at Morehouse. Uh, we met within a month, um, of getting to Atlanta, me coming from Texas, him coming from New York. Um, and I really feel like it was a partnership from the very beginning. Um, we were parents very early and before we were even married. Um, but even in parenting, um, and having to share space, found a way to, um, ensure that we were doing it together. You know, we got married and, and I had my, my daughter, um, Jasmine, um, we had Trey while we were in college, um, my son. And so we have two children. Um, but I remember, you know, me getting Jasmine dressed in the morning and him getting Trey dressed. Um, you know, I remember me, you know, taking care of Trey, uh, Jasmine's hair and him taking Trey to get his hair cut or cutting his hair. Um, and so from the very beginning, there was this kind of respect for each other. Um, we were beyond the expectations, kind of gender expectations. Um, it was more along the lines of, you know, I love this person. Um, this person loves me and I want us to have the best life possible. Uh, forget what people say we're supposed to do or how it's supposed to be. Sometimes I cook, sometimes he cooked, sometimes I clean, sometimes he cleaned. And so I think that it's when we are able um, to move beyond the boundaries of ex- other people's expectations um, and what mm-hmm. worked for other people and, and even societal norms um, and really sit down and begin to talk and say, well, what is this life that we're living going to be? What can it be? What are the possibilities and how do we make it the best that we can um, that we're really able then to begin to create the life right? That God has called us to live rather than leaning in and living up to other people's expectation. I can tell you right now, if we were relying on other people's expectation, we would not be here today. We would not be together today Um, because society can heap up so much on you um, in terms of you're supposed to be this, you're supposed to look this way, talk this way, be this way. And only when we have the courage, right, to be who God has called us to be and then to respect that about other people, um, that we can really begin to to understand what it means to be true partners, right? I love that word partner. I know we're getting away from husband and wife and it's partner. I love that because it exemplifies what a relationship ought to be. Um, and, and that is a, a partnership where I care about you, you care about me. I'm concerned about your life and well-being. You're concerned about my life and well-being. No one person is more important than the other. Um, you know, I've had jobs where it was mainly me, you know, being the breadwinner. We've had times in, in our marriage where it was mainly him being the breadwinner, but when it's a partnership, it doesn't matter as long as we're all eating. Ooh, I feel like preaching. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just, you know, we can get caught up really in what other people want for us and what people expect from us. But sometimes you got to close the door, you know, leave those people outside 
and look at your partner in the eye, um, look at them in the heart and say, what is it that we want this to be? And then start, go about the business of creating that. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's really amazing. And it's inspiring to watch. Um, there's so much to talk about in this conversation and we're going to shift it, but I just wanted to really highlight that for people because I think people lose out on the, the role of partnership and, and our life's journey. And, and, you know, I'm not in the business of her husband, pastor Mike Walvern of first Corinthian Baptist church is a dear friend of mine as well. And uh, I'm not in the business of telling all our conversations, but I wanted to share something that he shared with me once when we were talking and I said to him, uh, you know, from the outside looking in, I know things look differently than they are, but I just want to say, brother, like you are really blessed. You have a wonderful, mm-hmm. loving, and dynamic wife mm-hmm. uh, who who puts up with your crazy stuff. <laughs> I, lo- I love him down. We're brothers. But, uh, you know, I was teasing him about that. And he's like, bro, you have no idea mm-hmm. how grateful I am for my partner, for my wife. Mm-hmm. And he shared a story where you guys would go uh, when you were a young couple and you're looking at the possibility someday of having your first house and you'd go on these weekend tours and you'd walk through houses and you'd look at them and imagine what would happen. And then of course you'd inevitably have to leave because you didn't have the funds to, to do it at that particular time. And he told the story of this one time, there was this beautiful house you looked at and you both loved everything about it. You walked in each room, you could see yourself in the home and uh, you were about to leave and he was ready to take that drive back to the apartment like he always did. And you said, babe, what do you think of this house? And he's like, I mean, I like it, but why are you talking to me about this? I mean, you know, we can't afford it. Let's just, oh, it was nice. Let's go. And you're like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Actually, what if I told you we could? And he was like, what are you talking about? And then he went on to share that you had secretly created an either an account or siphon some money off every week, whatever the case was, you (laughs) have been saving money for the down payment for this house to make it happen. And and in true Mike Walron fashion, he said he was angry at the first. He was like, what are you doing? You did this behind my back. But then it dawned on him how grateful he was that you had the foresight to do that. You saw the blind spot and you pointed it out and you did something about it. And he went on to share. And this is why I share the story that So much of what he has in his life that everybody perceives him being this amazing pastor, this amazing father, whatever, that he wouldn't have half of it if it wasn't Mm -hmm. for you. That everyone perceives him as a pastor, as the optimist, but you're the one that keeps him going. And I just think it's important for people to understand it's not this man, this wife stand by her, her man, that kind of crap. It's a partnership. But how much can people be elevated when they're in a healthy partnership, walking life's journey together. So I wanted to, A, celebrate you publicly so people understand just a little more about you. And and just, again, reflect on the power of that, the power of partnership and how men can position themselves to receive the kind of love that somebody like you can give. That journey been amazing. Yeah. And you know what? I'm thinking about that. Um, and, and I appreciate that, um, because it's something to be said when your partner can see your value. Right. Um, And while he is so grateful for me because I am such an optimist and I am sometimes I get on my own nerves with my optimism, but my husband is the risk taker. Um, And so while he is, you know, giving me credit for for A, B and C, it's really also him having to say, and we can do this Um, and I want to do this and I know God is going to work this out for us. That and that was that risk taking that led us to to Durham, you know, um, when he went to to Duke. It was that risk taking that led us to New York, um, here at FCBC, and and so I'm really grateful. Um, you know, I do really believe 
in the power of, of faith, in the power of hope, in the power of love, in the power of optimism, in the power of risk. Um, and those are the things that I think have been central in our relationship. Now, certainly, you know, um, it's not all always, you know, potatoes and gravy. You know, sometimes things get tough. But when things are, and I say potatoes and gravy, but I'm, I'm from the country. I'm a country girl from Texas. Um, but when things get tough, when you have that optimism, when you have that that risk-taking attitude, um, it can really help to propel you forward. And so I'm really, really grateful for, for him and all the ways, all the amazing ways um, he has been such a blessing, um, such a blessing to my life. And he's my pastor. I mean, I told him, listen, you know, I can't leave you. You can't leave me because where am I going to go to church? Where am I going to get this good teaching, <laughs> this good preaching? You know, so, yeah, we're we're stuck. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, we are all grateful that y'all are stuck because you guys are a <laughs> dynamic duo in every, every way. But this conversation is about you. And you mentioned being a country girl. Tell us a little bit about growing up in Houston, Texas. Ah. What was that like? And, and how did that form uh, who you are today? Yeah, well, you know, they you, they say that you can take the girl out the country, but you can't take the country out the girl. Um, and that is so true. I'm really proud of um, my roots and where I come from. You know, I'm not so proud of my state right now with everything that's going on um, in the state of Texas. Um, but I grew up um, and, you know, came up in a very loving and affirming community. Um, I was raised by a mother who told me that I could do anything, that I could be anything, uh, that there was no limit um, on what I could what I could become. And she said that and she meant that and she modeled that. You know, I grew up with a praying grandmother who taught me how to pray at her bedside um, with a faithing family. You know, we're that family when we're getting together, we're singing hymns and somebody's going to pray, you know, and I just grace, mm-hmm. but I mean, they're going to pray for the, you know, for the family. Um, I had grandparents, um, Rhoda um, Harris and Robert Harris, who um, have land in Belleville, Texas, and they had a farm. And I grew up um, going there during the summers and during holidays. I had my own cow. Her name was Bessie. Um, And so not many people can say that. I remember you know, going and picking apples for fresh apple pies, picking blackberries for blackberry pies. Um, Remember slopping the hogs and feeding the chickens. Um, I had such an amazing childhood um, with a family that afforded me the opportunity um, to just believe the best about myself and about others. And I'll say this just to kind of put the icing on the cake. I'll never forget my senior year when I was applying to colleges and I'd applied to all of these colleges and, and gotten accepted into several um, and gotten full scholarships um, to a couple of schools in Texas. Um, but it was Spelman, right. That was on my heart. And I'll never forget. Um, I was sitting there with my mom and trying to decide if I wanted to go. And she saw my hesitancy and she said, what is this hesitancy? And I was like, well, I don't know if I don't want to to leave home. You know, I don't know if I want to be away from you, you know, going by myself. And, you know, I just was feeling a little fearful. And my mom said to me, go. She said, go. Home will always be here. You can always come back home. But there is a big world that's waiting for you to be a part of it. And I need for you to trust that and to go and see and be and do 
uh, what God is calling you to do in this season. And it was that go that has helped me to continue to go and keep going, whether it was degrees, additional degrees, whether it was another job, whether it was how I felt about myself, how my children, it was that go that helped me to continue to go. So I'm grateful for the go that I got, not only from my mother, but from my grandmother and my great grandmother and all of those who came before them. We are grateful for them. What if she hadn't said go? It would alter the course of many of our lives. You know, I think people overlook the tapestry of life and how we're all connected in such direct and meaningful ways. I mean, it literally would have altered the course of our lives had she not told you to go. Um, You, why Spelman College? Why Spelman? Had anyone in your family gone to Spelman? (laughs) So I got to tell you, I had never heard of Spelman College, Ricky. Um, I went and saw the movie School Days, right? And that was that was our movie back then. And <laughs> found out that the movie was based on, you know, Morehouse College. So, you know, back then we didn't have the internet. Um, and so I had my little college book of all the colleges. <laughs> oh, my God. I went and found Morehouse. Book. Remember that? <laughs> right. You remember that book, right? We had the books. We didn't have the internet. It wasn't that simple. And back then you had to call to request an application. So I called Morehouse, you know, the lady answers the phone. Hello. I was like, hi, you know, how are you doing? I'm calling to request an application. And she says, okay, well, tell me your name. And so I told her my name. She said, okay, what's your address? Gave her the address. What's your phone number? Gave her the phone number. She said, okay, so who's the application for? (laughs) I said, it's for me. So she said, oh, honey, Morehouse is an all-male institution. I was devastated. <laughs> I was just on the phone like, like I felt like all of my hopes had been shattered. Um, and then we, we we sat on the phone for at least, you know, a good 15, 20 seconds. And then she said, but Spelman College is right across the street and it's all female. And so I was like, mm, I don't know if I want to go to an all female school. <laughs> so she said, well... <laughs> They're right there. So they're always integrating, you know, Spelman women come over and take classes at Morehouse and Morehouse men go over and take. So I said, okay, um, I can do that. I can do that. So, you know, called over to Spelman, got my application, submitted my application, got accepted. Um, my mom and I decided to do a, a, a college tour. Um, and so mm-hmm. we went, we left, um, went to Xavier. That was one of the places I'd applied in Louisiana. Um, then we went to Spelman. We were supposed to go up to, to Howard, um, and come back through and hit Tuskegee. So that was our little HBCU, uh, trip. Um, Mm -hmm. and when I got to Spelman and we drove onto the campus at the time, I didn't know what I was feeling. My mom was, you know, giving the man her, their license and saying we had a meeting with the admissions officer. And I just started crying. My mom looks at me and she said, what's wrong? And I just looked there and I said, I don't know, but I'm supposed to be here. And at 18, I couldn't verbalize what I felt, that overwhelming feeling. I'm getting chills even now talking about it. But now at 50, I can say, I honestly believe that there was a welcoming party from the ancestors. Mm -hmm. who had been waiting for me to get there. Mm -hmm. And when I got there, I felt that energy 
the energy of God, the energy of the universe, the energy of Spellman women who had come before me, you know, the energy of Fannie Lou Hamer, the, the, the energy of Sojourner Truth, the energy of Harry, all that energy I felt in that moment, um, this cloud of witnesses, you know, saying she's here. Uh, and that was it for me. I didn't even, we didn't even go to Howard. My mom was like, you, you sure you don't want to go? I was convinced from mm-hmm. that day that Spelman College was the place that I was supposed to be. And so that's, that's powerful. That's how I got there. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't even realize the legacy that I was stepping into. I didn't get that until once I got to campus and started reading and learning, you know, about all right. of the amazing women who had come through there and, and how the school was founded. But for me, it was that welcoming spirit that was so overwhelming and overpowering that it caused me just to weep uh, in the front seat of the car. So, yeah. that That's an amazing story. I um, have a similar one, which I will not tell the long version of, but basically uh, I was awakened at 3.30 in the morning, God mm-hmm. telling me that God was pleased with me and to stay on my path and that dark times mm-hmm. were coming, but that God would be with me. And I was like, what does that mean? Wow. And then about a week later, I'm sitting in the park eating my lunch and I kept hearing this voice. My, I lost my hearing. I couldn't hear anything but this voice. And the voice kept saying, use your voice, use your voice. I'm like, mm-hmm. what does that mean? What are you talking about? And then about a week later, I had to go to Chicago with a client to look at a space that we were going to rent for an event. The space was at Chicago Theological Seminary. Ah, wow. I walked in the door. As soon as I walked in the door, a feeling of overwhelming peace came over me like I thought I was going to die on the spot. I'm like, what is going on? What is this feeling? Uh, and I asked the woman without, I don't even remember thinking about this. I just, the words come out of my mouth. The woman is going to take us on a tour for a purpose of doing an event. And I said to her, sidebar, could you get me some enrollment materials? I'm just curious <laughs> about your programs. Wow. And my client looks at me like, are you? What's going on? I'm like, I don't know. I just know that I was supposed to say that and it is what it is. And she comes back with the director of admissions who proceeds to ask me three or four questions and ask me where I live and tells me that there's intensives and I can do it online. Mm. Oh, as a matter of fact, one of our board members is in in New York. Mm. I can't remember his name, but I think his church is in Queens. And (laughs) she went back and around and around and around for a while until she realized, no, it's actually, his name is Michael Wow, I was like, Walrund? She's like, yes. Yeah. I'm like, Jesus, that's my pastor. <laughs> that's my oh, pastor. honey, he'll hook you up. He'll kick you right up. He'll tell you all about the school. And um, although I didn't attend there, that started my longing to to answer yeah. this call and be on this journey. Mm-hmm. And it led me to NYTS. So, yeah, that intuition, that call, that ancestors, the voice, the Holy Spirit speaking to you is something I think more people should really listen to and just be still and and listen to that. So you've been passionate about education, obviously, for a very long time. Tell me a little bit about that journey. Where does that come from? And and what has the educational journey been like for you? Mm, Yeah, I, um, I, when I was at Spelman, I, I majored in psychology, but my minor was in early childhood development. Uh, and so after graduating in 1993 and getting married, um, we moved to Durham, North Carolina, and that's where I started my teaching career. And I started out as a special education teacher, um, went on to be, to be a um, coordinator for special education services, 
um, and then an assistant principal and, and a principal um, working at every level, elementary, middle and high school. Um, I've always had a love for for children, um, always had a love for education. My mom you know, taught me that with education, you can go anywhere. Education is 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 the door that can lead mm-hmm. you to your your greatest and your uh, most elaborate dreams. And so um, for me, I not only wanted that for myself, but I wanted it for every other child that I came into contact with. You know, I realized that I everybody didn't have a mother like mine, right, who poured into right. and who encouraged and, and lifted up and su- supported. Um, and so when I started teaching, um, I realized that I had become that inspiration to to many of my students who did not have um, that support at home. Um, and once that happened, it was just it was a wrap. Um, I realized that I was a nurturer, that I was a giver, that I was an encourager, that I was an inspirer. Um, and, and so I leaned into that um, and it just took me through, you know, several more degrees and you know, staying in education and ultimately being here, you know, at New York Theological Seminary serving as um, the president. Uh, So um, just always had a passion for um, the revelation of truth, knowledge. Um, And those things are found um, through through reading, through access, um, through opportunities to learn. And so it's important for us to have those opportunities, but it's even more important for us to give those opportunities to others. Absolutely, it did. And, you know, you touch on New York Theological Seminary, where you are the first woman or first African-American to serve as president. How's that journey been for you so far? And, and what was it like, those initial moments of interviewing for the position and understanding it was even a possibility? Yeah, so so I I will say I this really was a divine intervention. Um, I was at FCBC living my very best life, um, and at the were. time, right? I really was. I you know was it was preaching, I was teaching, um, I was doing premarital counseling. Uh, you know, of course, weddings and funerals and baptizing people. I loved to baptize folks. Um, and, and women's ministry and, and youth. I mean, it was just, it, it was, it was the best job ever. It, it didn't feel like work, which is when you know you're doing what you've been called to do when you just wake up and that's what you think about and you're doing it and it's fun and inspiring and you have a good time when you're doing it. And that's the place that I had gotten to, you know, most jobs, you don't walk into that situation. You have to work yourself into that situation. Ooh, I felt that. Right. Um, and so I had worked <laughs> myself <laughs> into a situation where I just loved um, what I was doing. And so when the invitation came to apply for this position, um, I wasn't sure they had sent it to the right person because I didn't really have the higher ed experience, right. That most presidents bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after being thoughtful about it and after praying about it and, and certainly talking with my husband um, about it, realized that I was built for this position. When I sit in that chair, you know, behind that desk, it feels like God had been preparing me my whole life for this. And I just didn't know it, you know, from the education, you know, having the, mm-hmm. the bachelor's, the three master's degree, the Ph.D., you know, administratively from 
you know, working in, in public education as an assistant principal, as a principal, then serving as the executive pastor, you know, for FCBC administratively, um, spiritually, you know, um, mm-hmm. being that spiritual mother, sister, um, to, to so many people, you know, recognizing the gift of spirituality and, you know, putting that all together, you know, uh, uh, the academics, the, the, the administration, the spirituality. And then when, when you know that God is in the center of all of that, um, it was, it felt like a match made by God. And I'm really grateful for, for God trusting me enough to see fit to place me in this position, um, working with faculty, working with staff, working with the board, our students, our alum. It's such a wide community, a diverse community. We have students, you know, and alum all over the world. So it's not just socially located in New York. Um, and so it has, it's been a lot of work. It's been a lot of challenges. I've learned so much. Um, and I'm excited because I know that God is just taking us every round higher and higher. And that the best really is yet to come. Yeah, the um, vision statement of the school is uh, preparing faith and thought leaders to engage in relevant, restorative, and revolutionary ministry. Yeah, um, how how are you working, and how is the school working towards those goals? And how important is that in this current mm-hmm. society that we're living in right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when we think about our world and with everything that we've been seeing, even within these past 20 months, you know, with COVID and with all of the the racial tension um, that we've seen, um, with all of the cries for justice that we've been seeing, you know, it's important that the work that we do is relevant. You know, as we look at um, denominational participation declining, as we look at uh, you know, less than 50 percent of Americans see themselves as uh, religious. Um, we see these SBNRs raising the spiritual but not religious. It's important for what we do to be relevant, to speak to our times, to speak to the needs um, of, of this current generation, of the next generation. Um, it's important for that work to be restorative with all of the division, with all of the political division, with all of the racial division. It's important for us and the work that we're doing to be restorative. Uh, to bring back health and wellness to our relationships, um, to recognize the things that divide us weren't meant to. They were only meant to to allow our authenticity and uniqueness to shine. And we've used them as reasons to to divide us. Um, And then certainly revolutionary um, in the sense of never been done before. We have got to begin to do new things in our spiritual life. Um, And we can't keep doing the same old things and expecting a different result. Uh, and so this notion of relevant, this notion of restorative, of revolutionary, it is who we are and it is the work that we're doing. And we're preparing faith and thought leaders to continue that work. Right. So we're not in the business of just helping someone be smarter or to feel better about themselves as much as we are helping them to understand that our community needs the best of us. Um, it needs our best uh, intentions. It needs our best preparation. It needs our best ideas, our best innovation. Um, and that's what NYTS has been doing. And that's what we are focused on to continue doing. Um, and so I'm really proud to be a part of that kind of legacy um, and to know that it's just getting better and better, stronger and stronger uh, day by day as God continues to lead us. So, yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And I can personally attest to that having gone to the certificate program and recently yes. been accepted to the uh, 
MDF program, which I'm excited to start in spring. Um, it, it is really important. And I know you and, and, and your husband, Pastor Mike, are very big proponents of getting a sound theological education. Mm-hmm. And in this age of, you know, so many storefront preachers and not to disparage anybody's call to, yeah, to yeah. serve. Uh, and education really is important. And I like in the statement when you talk about faith and thought leaders, because not everybody who goes to seminary is going to go on to be a pastor with that degree. Absolutely. There's other ways that you can impact society. Yeah. Talk a little more you know, about why you guys came, you know, why you feel so strongly about theological education really yeah. being the underpinning of, of people moving to the world to do this service. So I'll say this. Um, I remember when my husband and I were getting married and, you know, I'm from small town, Texas. And um, when I was telling my aunts and cousins that he was going to divinity school, you know, their question was, well, why is he going to divinity school? You know, what, what, why, why the need for theological education? If God calls you, God's going to equip you. You know, Moses didn't go to divinity school. Moses was obedient to the call, right? So <laughs> that was what we were engaging in. I was like, oh my gosh. Um, but they didn't understand because back, you know, where I was from, we, I had never heard of, of seminary. I had never heard of divinity school. These were things that were brand new to me. And there are so many people in the world who have never heard of seminaries or divinity schools, but much in the same way, um, that doctors, right. Have to go to graduate school, um, in order to be an MD, you know, how attorneys have to go to law school in order to be a qualified attorney, there are some things that you learn in divinity school. Um, there are some things that you learn in seminary. There are some things that you learn when you're pursuing a theological education that will not just be revealed to you as you're reading the text. Um, there are some things about when the text was written, how the text was written, how it was formed. Um, there are some things about empire and what was going on during um, Jesus's time that is just not in the Bible. Those are things that you have to go back to to research and to get understanding. And when you have understanding, um, then you're able to even be a, a more prepared and more powerful uh, pastor. Um, and so, you know, I'll just give you an, an example of, of that, uh, thinking about the, the first miracle when Jesus turns water into wine, um, you know, and. Uh, he's like, you know, leave me. His mom is like, listen to Jesus, do what he says. And Jesus is like, listen, this doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm minding my own business. And his mom says, no, no, listen to him. And he says, you know what? Go get the water jars, right? They bring the water jars. He turns water into wine. The wine taster comes over and tastes the wine and says, oh my gosh, you've saved the best for last, right? Something we wouldn't know. Back then that you learn in seminary is that back then when they had weddings, the wedding would go on generally for about a week. And so you brought out the strong wine in the beginning to get everybody, you know, a little loose. Right. Mm -hmm. And you saved the weaker wine so that by the time you started feeling good, people couldn't tell the good from the bad. So for him then to come and make this exquisite wine, you know, kind of in the middle of this wedding ceremony was huge, was huge. Mm -hmm. And so that's something you can't pick up necessarily from reading the text. But also the other piece of that is that it was a miracle, um, but it was also a miracle that caused, you know, some discontent. Because now when people came to the house, they were supposed to use the water drawers to wash their hands and to cleanse themselves so they would be clean entering the house. Well, now there's no more water jars. 
So how are the people supposed to come? See, these are the these are the little nuances, right? When we think about the woman who had an uh, issue of blood and how she was healed um, on the way to Jairus's daughter's house. Uh, and, and the fact that when Jesus healed her because she touched him, she touched his garment, which is, was his essence. Now he became unclean. So now he's going to do another miracle by healing Jairus's daughter and he's unclean. Right. And so these are things that you learn, um, that aren't explicit in the Bible that aren't explicit by reading the text. Um, but, but insight that can be helpful, even as we're dealing with issues, um, around cleanness and uncleanness at the church. And we don't call it clean and unclean, but we might call it homeless. We might call mm-hmm. it addiction. And as we're dealing with some of these issues, we might call it sexual abuse. Then understanding those stories help us then to teach and preach and empower others as they are living their story. So it's it's really important. Um, and I encourage anyone out there, whether you've heard of seminary or not, if you're listening today, to really consider having an opportunity to learn as much as you can, because the more you learn, the more that you can teach others. No, that's that's profound, Reverend Lakeisha. And, you know, for me, it's been an amazing journey so far, and I'm early in my journey. But, you know, it free, understanding and getting a strong theological education really kind of frees you from the tyranny of biblical literalism. Um, people want to read scripture, not understanding when it was written, who it was written by, why it was written, the context on the ground, and then use it in a literal sense, 2,000 2,500 years later, it just doesn't make any sense. And they want to pick and choose, you know what I mean? Literal about this, but not literal about that. I mean, if you want to be a literalist, then all women should be the property of their men right now. How's that going to go over? How, how indeed, how indeed. (laughs) And, and you're, you're, you're absolutely right. These are the things that we're, we're, we're not considering when we are, are taking it word for word. Um, And that's when it can be dangerous and that's when it can be used as a tool and a weapon of oppression, as opposed to an opportunity for liberation. Um, and so the same thing that was done to our enslaved ancestors, you know, when they use text like slave, be obedient to your slave master um, to oppress a whole nation of people that when we are literal and try to oppress people, we're really operating in that, in that same vein. And so being thoughtful around how we are reading the text, how we are using the text, how we are thinking about people um, who this text is is here to empower um, is really an important part and, and should be an important part of ministry and our own undergirding theology. Absolutely. And I think at its core, for me, it's already just arisen to the place of understanding that God's word really is about teaching us how to live in community with each other. At its core, it's trying to teach us how to live in community. And clearly, if you look at today's issues, we still have a challenge with that uh, in so many ways, from the pandemic to, I mean, R. Kelly just a few moments ago got uh, convicted of sexual assault, and, and that's tragic, and I'm, I'm, you know, he needs to be held accountable. But I think when you think about community, none of us are really focused on well, how and why did he get to the space that he's in to be that kind of person. There's stories about him being assaulted himself as a young person. And think about all the people that had to enable this behavior for the last 30 years. 
I think we've got a lot of work to do as a community and, and, and God's work can definitely teach us uh, a lot about that. You mentioned earlier, actually, uh, you brought up sexual assault when you were saying some of your remarks. And I know that you're a writer and you've written two wonderful books. Uh, and one of them uh, was a children's book and it was about that very topic. You want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yes. Yeah, so the, the book is, um, is, is a baby uh, birth um, from the divine. I was woken up in the middle of the night um, and got up and opened the computer and it, it the words just came and I, I typed um, the whole book uh, right then, uh, a children's book to prevent um, sexual violence um, against um, young girls and boys. Um, the title of the book is My Body is Special. Um, and it's really one, uh, the first book of a six part series um, to help parents and give parents and uh, other adults, teachers, social workers, um, psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, the tools to have this difficult conversation. Um, you know, when you really think about it, no parent really wants to tell the child that there's a possibility that this could happen, that this is even a reality. Um, no parent wants to, to have to tell the child to be thoughtful and protect yourself. And, you know, you got to be thoughtful about the adults that you're around. Um, but we've got to have the conversation because when we don't have the conversation, we allow um, there to be more perpetrators, which inevitably leads to more victims. Um, and so for me, this notion of helping children and parents to be equipped with the tools that they need to keep children safe um, is really a gift really to the world. Um, this notion of, you know, say no, uh, do tell. Uh, go to a safe place and, and, you know, tell an adult that you trust uh, is something that needs to be common in what we're saying and how we're communicating, what we're talking about. And we can't be scared to have these difficult conversations because that's all, that's the only way that we're going to um, really put a dent in what is growing to be, you know, of tremendous concern, not only in homes, but just at, in our nation um, as a whole and not just in our nation, but really around the world. Um, and so um, helping parents and children to understand that their bodies are special, their bodies belong to them, that nobody should be touching them inappropriately um, is definitely a conversation worth having. But if you're having difficulty, you know, in beginning that conversation, then my book, My Body is Special, can really, really help give you the tools that you need to have the conversation and to have a conversation that it's not so threatening or so scary uh, to mm -hmm. the children. It gives language that's necessary for, for the child to have understanding and feel empowered around his or her own body um, without being scared to death. But at the same time, recognizing that it's important. We've got to have these conversations. We've got to talk about it. Um, I'm a survivor um, and I was molested by someone that my mother trusted and never thought would ever touch me. Um, and meanwhile, that's exactly what's happening. Um, and so, unfortunately, we cannot think that there's no way that this person won't touch our child. There's no way that that person um, won't touch our child. We have to empower our children so that if that possibility arises, that our children are equipped with the tools that they need to, one, prevent it and or at least talk to an adult about it. 
Absolutely. And thank you so much for your transparency and, and for sharing your story and allowing your story to emerge in such a way that it could be healing and preventative uh, for others. I think that's uh, super important. It's admirable. Um, I don't know that it's ever easy to talk about it, no matter mm-hmm. how far in the past that it is. Yeah. But so I really call that out and, and, and commend you for that. How important has the book been to your own healing and, and your own journey as a mother? Um, yeah. You know, it is so interesting. I remember uh, someone asked me that question when I first published the book in 2017. And, you know, I was saying to them, I remember hearing this scripture preached um, or spoken um, of all things work together for good for those who are called uh, by God according to God's purposes. And in my mind, I could not reconcile how anything good could come from that situation. It's like, yeah, I don't know about this. Yeah, I know that some things work together for good, but all things, eh, I don't know about that. And for me, being able to publish this book, um, being able to, even if it helps one child, uh, for me, that's the good that comes from a very terrible and hard situation. Um, And while I do not believe that, that God was involved in or, or the reason for my molestation. And there are people that believe that. I believed everything was ordained by God. Uh, I don't know that I, I believe God ordains for a grown man or a grown woman um, to molest you know, or rape or violate a child. I just don't believe that. I do believe God gives us free will so that we can mm-hmm. make choices and not our, all of our choices are good choices. Um, But what I do believe is that God can take that ugly situation, that huge mess. Um, God can take your worst pain and your worst shame um, and transform it in a way that something good can come from it. Right. And so we have to be careful with that language, because even even saying that right can minimize someone else's experience, because I'm, I'm sure someone is listening now who's saying, well, no good has come from that or no good, you know, has come from this situation. Um, But even our capacity to talk about it as a learning experience, even our capacity to grow from it and say that it didn't kill me, I'm stronger because of it. But certainly being able to produce a book that to say, I don't want the the terrible thing that happened to me to happen to someone else. And here's how I'm going to help prevent it. That is the good thing. That is the good thing. And so I encourage, you know, all of us to think about those terrible situations, those, those terrible circumstances, you know, and all of the shame and all of the pain that comes with it. Um, and to be thoughtful and prayerful, you know, and to say, God, this was a terrible, terrible thing. Is there any, can we, can, can anything good come out of this? You know, uh, can anything good come out of this terrible situation? And it may just be you're telling your story so that someone else who's going through it knows that they can make it through it. That may be the good thing right there you're being able to know that it wasn't your fault, right? That you didn't do anything wrong and to be able to communicate that to yourself. That may be the good thing. The fact that your mother didn't believe you when you told her what your father or your uncle did, but you know it to be true. And so now you know to move forward and believe the next young girl who says this to you, that's a good thing. And so, yes, there are terrible, terrible things that happen, but there's also potential for something good to come out on the other side. And we pray that no one has to go through that horror, right? We pray that no one has to go through that horror. But if you have gone through it and you're still here, ah, 
You are a testimony. You are a living testimony. Strength is your testimony. Fortitude is your testimony. Will, the will to not give up. Determination is your testimony. Survival is your testimony. Thriving is your testimony. And those are the things we have to lean into, right? Even as we're being pulled back, uh, you know, those forces that want to pull us back and keep us bound. But we, we, we's free. <laughs> we we are free. free. Hallelujah. <laughs> we are free. We are free. More free. No longer bound. <laughs> no more chains holding me. My soul is resting, right? It's such a blessing. Praise Amen. the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm Hallelujah. free. And I can say, that while I was healing all along the way, that book really did set me free in a different kind of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, there's a different gate in your walk after sharing that publicly and putting that mm-hmm. book out. I've watched it touch other people. I gave it to my nephew and I mean to my niece uh, to give it to her nephew and uh, my nephew to give it to his niece and nephew. And they they loved it. Um, and it's really empowered them to be able to give the kids the language to talk about it and to look out for it. So you're healing. Uh, grateful. First of all, we're grateful for your healing, but your healing has been extended to all of us and in a preventative way to help people um, navigate this crazy world we're in and, and to hopefully avoid those things in the future. Um, you also spoke about something in free will. And I, I agree with you 100% about free will and its role in our lives. And I believe that uh, we are indeed made in the image and likeness of our creator. And so we create uh, with our thoughts, words, and actions. But first thing we have to do is choose how we're going to respond to a situation. So your active choice is your active creation. Bad things are going to happen in life. Good things are going to happen. But you get to choose how you react, how you respond, how you grow. Do you let it destroy you or do you find strength? You may need professional help to do it. You may need a community. But you get to choose how you how you respond. So you said your, your, your good education is paying off a little bit on me. Listen, and you got me thinking even is it choose ye this day who you will serve. You got a choice. You get to choose. You You have the power. Yeah. And people don't choice is an act of creation. Absolutely. Every time you make it, Um, we're going to let you get out of here, but there's just a couple of more questions I got to dig into. Um, (laughs) You know, it's, it's seemingly obvious answer for so many, but I, you know, I want to talk about briefly the point in your mind, what are the most important issues of our day and what is faith's role in helping us navigate those issues in these times? Cause for so many people, they feel like, child, this is what grandma was talking about. These, the last days for the first time in my life, I, I'm not so sure. <laughs> I understand. I understand Revelation differently now, having been educated. But still, it, it does feel right. a <laughs> crazy in these streets right now. But what what do you think are you know faith's role in dealing with some of what you see as the most critical issues of our time? You know what? I think that the biggest issue that we are facing today is the issue around identity, right? I think identity um, is a part of the foundation of every issue we face. So whether it is racial injustice, we forget that we are all human, that we are all made in the image and likeness of God. And I feel like I can treat you different because you don't look like me. That goes to identity. 
whether it's climate change, right? And that we were created to take care of this world. But when we forget who we are, we forget our responsibility. It goes back to identity. When we think of issues like homelessness um, and, you know, addiction, homelessness, there, there is enough resources on our planet for everybody. There is enough food for everybody to eat. There is enough wood. There is enough mud and straw to make brick for everybody to have a home. But when we value people based on privilege, based on their education, when we put people uh, into different categories and treat some better and treat some worse, it goes back to identity, right? Um, When we think about Um, you know, domestic violence, huge, huge issue. When we think about molesting, it goes back to identity. If we recognize that we are children of the, of the, the, the highest God, we recognize that we're all connected. You know, I think about that prayer um, in John where Jesus said, my prayer is that you'll be one with the father. Like I am one with the father and that we'll all be one together. Um, That that was our prayer. That was Jesus's prayer for us, that we would all recognize our connected. And we go back to love your neighbor as yourself. It goes back to identity. If you know who you are, then you know that 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 person is your neighbor. So, you know, for me, we, we are having an identity crisis. And all of these pieces that we're seeing are manifestations of us having lost um, our own connection to humanity. And that's why I love our theme at FCBC, Be Human, human. because we're all moving, living that that life that God has called us to live. And if we're living in that way and we're loving in that way and we're serving in that way, then a lot of the issues um, that seem to be, you know, um, unmanageable, a lot of these issues that that we're trying to find ways to to resolve, um, if we could get back to just seeing the person in front of us and loving the person in front of us, then we can really get to the root of some of these things, right? And and maybe that sounds a bit idealistic or maybe it sounds a, a bit optimistic, but for me, it's truth. And where there's truth, there's power. If we can get back to being our authentic selves and recognize that we were created in the image of God but recognize that so was our brother or our sister or our, our, our friend over here, then we really can get to the heart of trying to solve some of these other issues. And we could realize that we're more than Democrat and Republican. We're human. That we're more than black or white. We're human. That we're more than male or female. We're human. That we're more than rich or poor. We're human. A billionaire, when they go in the grave, they going in the dirt, just like the person who's dying and dead. They can't yeah. take any of their mansions or car, any, because we all are human. Man, if we could get that into these brains of ours, there is no limit to who we could be as a people, as a nation, as a world. So eloquently spoken and so much the truth that I live. I mean, this, honestly, the podcast even though it's not a faith-based podcast overtly, it's my first ministry move. And it's based mm-hmm. on exactly what you just shared, that we've got to understand 
know and see who we are as human beings, as our authentic selves, as a creation of God. And that's so powerful to hear it come from your lips that way. Um, and your recent sermon, um, Prepare for Elevation, you uh, preached an amazing sermon, as you often do. I, I would say always, in my opinion. Uh, but you preached from First Kings. And, and you preached uh, speaking about uh, if God said to, 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 to you to ask one thing of me, what would you ask? And uh, you talked about his response to Solomon that he gave according to gave Solomon according to Solomon's word. And do you think? Uh, I, I'm curious about you. Do you think that we are individually aware of the power of our word? And the second piece and final piece of that question is: If God asked you one thing to ask God, what would you ask for? <laughs> Yeah, I um I don't believe we have any clue about the power of our words. If we did, we would be speaking differently. Um this notion of the power of life and death being in our tongues is so real. You know, um it is our capacity to imagine and faith um, and to speak through our own spiritual, emotional, and psychological experience to recognize if, if, if we spoke words through faith instead of fear, what would our conversations look like? If we spoke words of peace and possibility um, over over doubt um, and chaos, um, if we looked for solutions and spoke solution oriented as opposed to problem oriented, um, if we were grateful instead of complaining, man. How much more full would our lives be? How much uh, more powerful would we show up? How, man, there is a fierceness that is in each of us that is waiting to be birthed. So I would say, how is your fierceness? Some of us are starving our fierceness. We are not giving it the encouragement, the tools, the language to, to come out, to roar as that lion does. How is your fierceness? Some of us are trying to have our fierceness be like somebody else's fierceness. How is your fierce? Some of us don't even know we're fierce at all, but I want you to know that there is a fierceness in you that is waiting to be unleashed, waiting to be revealed, waiting to lead you forward to not just any life, but to your best life. You know what, Ricky? Some of us think we're living our best lives. We have no idea of the possibility of the potential of the passion that is in store for us when we really begin to believe in our power as individuals and in our power collectively. One of my favorite scriptures is that God will do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power or the fierceness that's at work in us. 
But if we're not thinking it and if we're not asking it, then we're not activating that power or their fierceness. So we've got to change our minds. We've got to change our language. We got to catch ourselves mid-sentence because that's what it takes. I mean, even I, I, I do it all the time and I'm in the middle of a sentence. So you know what? Stop it. How are you going to switch that around to make it positive, um, to make it something that is worth hearing? Right. And And I think that's what that's what this walk is about. It's about sometimes you got to talk yourself into clarity. You got to speak those things that are not as though they were. I was talking to someone yesterday at church um, who said to me, you know, sometimes I just get so overwhelmed and I just don't know what to do. And I said, who told you you were overwhelmed? I said, you're not overwhelmed. I said, the next time you think you're overwhelmed, sit yourself down and think about all the things you've been through, all the things you've overcome, all of the, 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 the things that got in your way that you were able to move past, move through, move over, move under, move around and say to yourself, I am not overwhelmed. Everything that I am feeling and experiencing right now, I have the tools to deal with and whatever I don't have, God has. So we're going to be all right. Because it's the attitude. If you go into that situation thinking you're overwhelmed, you're going to be overwhelmed. If you go into that situation thinking you're underqualified, you will fumble over your words and you will feel that. Speak life. Speak fierceness. Speak, speak power. Speak passion. Speak potential. Speak possibility. Speak that the best is yet to come. And you have to prove me wrong. Because I'm believing that the, you're going to have to prove me wrong. I'm, I'm so convinced that I speak every fiber of my being the best. I don't care how bad it is. The best is yet to come. We've got to begin to give ourselves the words, the language to speak and to think those things that are not as though they were so that we can continue to move forward, you know, in faith and in favor. Uh, so I, 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 I don't know. I think um, to, to your second question, what would I ask of God? It's changed so much over the years um, in this. And, and we ask different things of different gods, different of, of um, different things at different times of God. Um, and so, you know, I, my prayer now is that my position, um, which is a position of influence, right, both at um, New York Theological Seminary as president and at FCBC, you know, as a pastor there, um, that the next generation, little boys and little girls might see me and know that there's more for them, that God would use me in a way that people don't accept the leftovers. Ooh. That God would use me in a way that people know they don't have to accept the crumbs, somebody else's crumbs. That God would use me in a way that someone would be able to say, I can do anything. That nothing is impossible with God. That the sky is the limit. And so when, when my face appears, whether it's on screen, whether it's at the seminary, whether it's at the church, that some little girl will say, huh. If she can do that, then man, I can do so much more than that. That's it. Lifting the esteem, you know, of our children. I'll never forget. Um, I preached one day, and this was early at FCBC when folks called me Reverend Lakeisha. This is before we started calling everybody pastor. But mm-hmm. you know, Pastor Mike was there. I was Reverend Lakeisha, and Pastor Tori came. 
And so a little girl and a little boy came up to me and said, well, why do they call you Reverend Lakeisha, but they call Pastor Mike Pastor and Pastor Tory Pastor? Um, and um, the little boy said, well, because girls can't be pastors. And I was like, whoa, because for me, you know, it's not about the titles. But I have to realize that just because they don't mean anything to me doesn't mean that they're not important for others who are watching. And so, you know, I had to explain, no, that's not true. (laughs) You know, women can be (laughs) pastors. But the point being is that there are so many things that we assume that our, our children know, that the youth know, that this next generation that's becoming behind us know. And we got to stop making those assumptions and start giving them the tools, the insight and the words that they need to live their best life, a life that is unlimited with unlimited possibilities. You are so right that I would apply that to adults as well. There are many adults that need those same tools and those those same lessons. Um, You've been so gracious in your time and we appreciate you. Um, You've uplifted me. Uh, Emil Wilberkin, who's a serial crier, has been trying to make me cry publicly for a long time. You came close, <laughs> but I held back the tears. Uh, but I, I, I really do. I appreciate you. I know and I trust that everyone who heard this will be blessed by your mm-hmm. words and by your dynamic preaching, uh, both in the past and in the future. Mm-hmm. And we um, we pray for you, for your healing, mm-hmm. for your restoration, for your family, and that you continue your journey and you continue doing the thing that you just wished for. You're already doing. You have inspired me to know that I can do anything, that I can hold down a job and launch a podcast and yet still pursue my education all at the same time. So we thank you. And uh, we thank you again for joining us on the podcast. Reverend Lakeisha Walren, PhD. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ricky. Thanks so much. The Reverend Dr. Lakeisha Walren. What a great conversation. What an amazing, amazing woman. You know, Reverend Dr. Lakeisha Walren is a reflection of passion meeting purpose. She's a foot soldier for love and the embodiment of infinite possibilities. Her life story is replete with examples of hope conquering despair, the power of prayer, and the importance of education. Reverend Lakeisha is a reminder that education creates opportunities, and opportunities often lead us to spaces where we can meet our true selves, lean into our gifts, and use them to serve others and to serve God. Education doesn't always mean higher education. It doesn't always mean postgraduate education. It could be a trade school where you learn to lean into the gifts that God blessed you with. But whatever the case, an education is important to helping each of us fulfill our purpose. Despite being a childhood victim of sexual assault and being told that women can't serve in the pulpit, her life is also a reminder that women can and often do do anything that men can do and do it better. More importantly, she's a reminder for all of us, all of us, that those whose society may want to oppress or deny may be the ones who actually come bearing gifts that equip them to lead us out of darkness and into the fullness of our humanity. You ever think about it? That young person who you look down upon that black or brown man that you want to lock away, they might be the one to cure cancer, to solve life's great problems, and to lead us all into the fullness of our humanity. 
You know, y'all, we were all created to live the lives that we were created to live. And it isn't up to us to find someone else's possibility or to deny another the opportunity to be the, all that they can dream of being. Reverend Lakeisha is a shining example of what can be achieved when we are nurtured by loving families, protected by the power of prayer, and embrace the power of community. Yes, family and community lifted her up, and family and community should lift all of us up. Don't let the world's identity crisis infect you. It's critical, y'all, that we remember that we were created to love. It's so important to remember that life is indeed for the living. And where there's truth, there's power. And that we were all created by God. And that includes our brothers, our sisters, our non-gender conforming fellow humans, all the wildlife on this planet, and even the earth itself. And that despite our differences, despite our differences, we are all part of the same loving family of humanity. The old adage rings true. United we stand, but divided we fall. I don't know about y'all, but I'm not trying to fall. So let's get this together and move forward in love. All right, y'all. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with the Reverend Dr. Lakeisha Walren. My name is Ricky Day. I'm the host here once again of Nothing to Lose But Yourself. I want to remind you to follow us on Instagram and on Twitter, Nothing to Lose But Yourself. And if you'd be so kind, please rate and review the podcast positively on Apple Podcasts. If you want to, please go ahead and follow me on social media as well. That's Ricky Day, R-I-C-K-Y-D-A-Y. Also on Instagram and on Twitter. And if nothing else, go out there today and smile on somebody's face. Give somebody something to laugh about, something to smile about. And remember, no matter how dark and angry and hateful they may be being right now, they are indeed your brother, your sister, your non-gender conforming fellow human. And they may not know it, but that love that you have in your heart for them may be the thing that helps them turn the corner. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to love. My name is Ricky Day. This is Nothing to Lose But Yourself. And remember that each of us has the power to do our little bit to change this world, to make this world a better place, one conversation at a time. Have a beautiful day. I love you. I hope y'all love me too. But even if you don't, it's all good. Because my love for you is without condition. Be well.